Thanks for joining us for this message from Awakened Church. We believe in the power of God's Word, and we pray that you're encouraged by this message. Now lean in as we hear from God's Word together. Closing out this series um, of I'm Not Okay, that is what it's titled, that we've been in for several weeks now. And I know for a lot of people in the church, that's a little bit bittersweet because it's been a very impactful series. I'm touched on a lot of different subjects and things that people have been going through, and clearly it's um, hit hit the spot because there's been so many prayer requests from so many different people of need that they're of things that they're dealing with, so many people um, that I've heard about um, who have reached out to their um, people who are in their groups or to their groups leaders, so many people have reached out to the pastors. So I know that this series has been very impactful and much needed. Um, so it's a little sad to be ending it, but I'm really excited about how we're going to be ending it today. Um, because as I was praying about what the Lord wanted for this week and what he would have shared, he really laid something on my heart. And it's just a, a really beautiful way to close, it, close out the series. Um, so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 11 today, verses 25 through 30. So you guys can start turning there now just so you're prepared. And we'll have the verses on the screen as well if you don't have a Bible, so you'll be able to read them up there also. Um, but to kind of get you you know, set up for where we're going to be going, the title of today's message is going to be, I'm not okay, but it is well. I'm not okay, but it is well. And if those last three words sound familiar, it's because they are. We just were singing them. Um, It's from that song that we sang, It Is Well With My Soul. And this is such a fitting title because that song is a really good launch point because it was written by a guy who definitely would have been saying, I'm not okay, when he wrote it. Um, I don't know if you guys know the story or the history behind this song, but it's really tragic and it's really painful. And that's what makes it really powerful and such a good way to kind of open things up for this message. Um, This song was written by a guy named Horatio Spafford, and that's how you know it's old, because Horatio, that is the oldest name you've ever heard in your life. But Horatio Spafford um, was alive during the 1870s, um, and in 1873, that's when he wrote this. Um, he was a businessman and lawyer in Chicago. He had a pretty fairly large family. He had his, a wife named Anna. He had four daughters, and the four daughters were very young. The oldest was only about 12 years old. Um, and in 1873, in the winter, he had planned a trip for himself and his whole family to go into Europe and to spend some time there. So they were going to take a ship across the Atlantic and spend that, that time. But something came up right before they were to leave that an issue with his business that he was going to need to handle before he left. And he figured, well, the best thing that's going to happen, I'm not going to take away from what my family is going to be doing. I'm going to send them on ahead of me. So he sends them on the boat to go themselves, and he's going to meet them about a week later. And they get on the boat and they start to go off on their journey. And four days into their trip across the ocean, their boat crashes into another boat in the middle of the sea. And that boat that they were on sank in 12 minutes. And there was hundreds of people on this boat. And very few of them survived. Um, Anna was found floating on a chunk of wreckage and pulled out of the water. But all four of their young daughters drowned. And I just want you guys to imagine just the incredible heartbreak and pain and, and hurt and suffering that you'd be feeling if, if that was you, if you were experiencing that loss. It was horrible for her. 
And the worst part is she couldn't even say anything about it until she gets to shore over in Europe days later. And she sends a telegram to Horatio back in the United States, um, and it's titled, uh, Saved Alone, What Shall I Do? Horatio is obviously devastated at this news and is feeling this weight and the brokenness and the, the sorrow that's in that. And he boards a boat as quickly as he can to go meet his wife over in Europe. And he gets on this boat and four days into the trip, the captain of the boat tells him, hey, would you come into the captain's quarters? And he goes in there and he, he meets with the captain and the captain tells him, hey, we're roughly over the spot right now where your daughters were lost. And Horatio walks out onto the deck of the ship and looks out over that water, knowing where his little girls have sunk. And he begins to pen the words of it is well with my soul. And I want to remind you of those words, what we sang, because it's so powerful when you know this backstory. It says, when peace like a river attendeth my way, and when sorrow like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well It is well with my soul. I think a question you might have and that I had is, how can someone say that? How can someone be in a place where they can say, it is well with my soul, where they have peace in the midst of that tragedy and that heavy of a moment? Well, I think he could say that because he found rest in his relationship with God. He found rest in his unity with God and what that meant for him. And I think for a lot of us, this is a a very impactful thing, but, but for a lot of us, we don't understand that depth that he had. And it's evidence, if you don't believe it, we can go back, you can read it later, but read everything else, all the rest of the verses of that song. It's very clear that what his hope is found in is relationship with Jesus. And it's such an incredible testimony. And it leads us to kind of a statement that I believe is really Horatio's testimony. And we're going to come back to this at the end so he can write this down and keep it in mind. It's that it's not about our present situation. It's about our position with God. It's not about our present situation. It's about our position with God. The reason that we can say it is well, the reason that we can say that we have peace, the whole reason behind that is because of our relationship in unity with God. And this is going to set the backdrop for what we're going to be looking at in Matthew 11. So I want you to keep this in mind. That's kind of what's going to frame up what it is that we're going to be talking about in God's actual word, what we're going to learn together. So if you would grab your Bibles, we're going to read verses 25 through 27 first, and then we're going to pause. It says, at that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, That you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding, and you've revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So let's pause right here for just one minute. Um, We're going to be really focusing in on what's in verse 27, and that's where our first point's going to come from. Point number one is relationship and unity with God is impossible without Jesus. 
relationship and unity with God is impossible without Jesus. So again, this is focused really on what's in verse 27. Something was said twice, and we need to notice it. There's a phrase that was mentioned two separate times. It's really important. And that phrase was, no one knows. I'll read it again where it said it so you can see it for yourselves. It says, no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son. That's critical for us to know. Um, The word know that's used right there means to be thoroughly familiar with. It's talking about relationship, having a depth and a connection with someone. So what that's showing us is that there is a relationship and a unity that's found between the Father and the Son that they have that no one else is a part of, that no one else experienced, that no one else is able to participate in. And the reason why that is the, the reason why the Bible says that no one else can participate in this is because sin separates us from God. Sin separates us from God. Now, it's funny, is when I just said that, sin separates us from God. If you've grown up in church, if you've been in church for a long time, you heard that and it probably did nothing inside of you. You heard it and you said, yep, I know. That's a problem. Because that phrase, that sin separates you from God, is huge. It's enormous. It has weight in every single way for everything that you do in your entire life. And if you don't understand that, if you've forgotten what that means, then you can never really appreciate the relationship that you have with Jesus the way that you really should. So what we need to do to grasp this understanding of how huge that is, that no one knows the Father And no one knows the Son except for them. What we need to do to understand how heavy that is, is we need to look at what sin is. We need to define it and understand how it affects us a little bit. So we're going to spend just a little time doing a super brief kind of overview of what sin is. So first, we'll start real simple. Definition of the word. What's the definition of the word sin? It means to miss the mark. That's the actual like meaning of sin, to miss the mark. Another way you could say it is it's failing to meet a standard. So if you've missed a mark, you failed to meet a standard, you kind of need to know what the standard is, right? That was an important question. What is the standard then? Well, the standard is alignment with God's perfect design, God's perfect law, and God's perfect character. That's the standard. Missing the mark means you are not aligned with God's perfect design, his perfect law, and his perfect character. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. That means every single person on this earth is guilty of sin. Every single person is separated from God. And that's because we have broken God's law. We've chosen to do that. We've all chosen to do it. It wasn't an accident. We've all willingly chose to break, to, to break God's law. And each and every one of us has chosen to oppose God's design. And we've chosen to oppose God's character, to rebel against it. That means that we are all guilty. We're all separated from God. And this is not just because of the things that we do. 
Um, but it's also because of the things that we don't do. Sin can be both things. And frequently when we think about sin and what sin is, you're going to just think of an action. Like, oh, I sinned because I did this thing, X, Y, Z. I'm going to give you an example of both things so you can kind of picture this. Um, sin that you do, theft, lying. These are really quick, easy examples of, oh, you sinned because you did that. But then there's also the sin that we all participate in and do by not doing something. Example of that, failing to forgive others. Failing to do the good works that God has planned for your life. Ignoring them, rejecting them. That is you sinning by not doing something. All of us are guilty of that. All of us um, do these different things. And when we realize that, that helps us understand that every single thing that you come in contact with has been affected by sin. Sin has touched it. So everything physical, you look around in the world, every physical thing you see, it's been touched by sin. It's no longer in alignment with God's design, with God's law, and with God's character. And this is why you see so many different problems and situations. Sin has touched the spiritual that's why it separates us from God. Sin has touched all things relational, the way that we engage with one another through friendships, marriage, just societally in general. Sin has permeated that. It affects everything moral. It is all touched by sin and it's all corrupted by sin. Every single one of these things has fallen out of alignment with God's perfect design, perfect law, and perfect character. And what it does is it causes destruction in the physical, and it causes us to be separated from God. It kills our ability to be connected with him, to have any kind of relationship with him. And it kills our ability because sin can't be in the same space as God. And I want to explain this because this is a concept that we get wrong a lot. Um, the reason why sin can't be in the same place as God is kind of interesting. The Bible uses a really good way of describing this, so that's the one I'm going to use on the example of this. The Bible describes sin as darkness. It's separated from God. It's, it's bad. It's, it's dark. Sin is darkness. And it describes the truth and walking in that perfect alignment with God. Righteousness describes that as light. So God's ways are light sin is darkness. Darkness is the absence of light. Darkness is not a thing. It's the absence of something. And the reason why darkness can't exist with light is because the second that light shows up, darkness is wiped out. And this is why you are separated from God, because we are all sinners. We are dark. As soon as the light shows up, you're wiped away. You cannot exist in the same space. That's a real problem. Sin is a huge issue. Sin causes the physical decay and spiritual se separation from God, and that is the fruit of it. And in life, there's always going to be this decay. As long as we're on this earth, until the day that Jesus returns, we're always going to witness and experience that decay happening around us and even to some degree in us. 
That decay is going to be there. You're going to see it in the sickness that we see in the world. Um, You're going to see it in the pain that we experience, in death. And you're going to see that in the heartache that we feel regularly. You're going to experience that decay a lot. That's going to just happen. But there doesn't have to be separation from God. Even though sin can't exist when God is present, there's still hope. And that's because of what's found at the very last little bit of verse 27. I'll read it all for you guys one more time. It says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son. That's that separation. But then it says, And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. That statement is really important. Um, What that is saying is that anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal himself to can have relationship. And that word, um, chooses, means wishes or desires. So Jesus has free reign over who's invited into relationship, who's allowed to come into this. And that word reveal means to disclose. So the idea is that he can show himself and bring people into this at his will as he, wa- as he sees fit. And Jesus doesn't just have this authority because he randomly got it. Jesus has this authority because what Jesus did on the cross was pay for our sin and the judgment that we deserve with his own life and his own blood And by doing that, Jesus gained the authority and the right to offer and extend forgiveness for sin. And when we accept that, that is two things. It acquits us of our breaking of God's law, so we are no longer guilty. And then secondly, it cleanses us. It makes us clean. We are no longer filthy with sin, but we're wiped away and we have a new nature that is given by him. That is a really special and a really beautiful thing. And that's what steps into what's found in uh, Matthew 11, verse 28, what I want you guys to see next. Um, Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is where our second point is going to come from. Second point is the invitation for relationship is given to all. Now, while no one can come in, to this relationship. We don't have the right. We can't earn it. Only Jesus has the right to offer it. The great news is that every single person is invited. No one is excluded from that invitation. Um, What Jesus says when he says, come to me, that phrase is um, supposed to be an exclamation. So we, we shouldn't read it all quiet and calm, like Jesus is whispering it, and he's like very mellow, like, hey, come to me, guys. That's not how this is supposed to be taken. It's an exclamation. It's supposed to be said urgently. Like he's beckoning people to please come. The way you should read that when you read those words is, come to me, please come to me now. And then he says something important right after that. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. The word labor means to grow weary from work. But right here, the way that it's used, it's a little bit deeper than that. It actually means to be fainting under the weight of legal burden. That's the real intent of what he's getting at. Fainting under the weight of legal burden. 
And then the word heavy laden, we don't use those types of terms, but it just means to be carrying a load. So you're feeling the weight, the, the burden of sin. So really what's being talked about here is the legal burden of God's law that we are all guilty of, that we all should recognize that we have broken, not on accident, but by choice, and that we are separated from God. And Jesus is speaking to every single person who is under that weight. And what he is saying is that that legal judgment and that burden of being outside of relationship with him doesn't have to be there anymore if we would come to him. Every person who recognizes their own missing of the mark, their own failing of that standard, if they show up to him, they hear something pretty incredible. What they hear from Jesus is that he will give them rest. He says, I will give you rest. That word rest means revival. And that's pretty amazing when you realize that we are dead in sin. You are not alive when you are separated from God. You are dead You can't do anything. You're under that burden. But Jesus says, come to me and I'm going to revive you. I'm going to give you life. Jesus is offering us an escape from sin's burden for every single person who would just come to him. So the only real question now that we've worked through a lot of these things is, do we actually now understand the weight of sin and how big of a deal it is that you are invited into it? into relationship with him. We need to understand that for this to really matter. And that's going to lead us into verses 29 through 30. Look at what Jesus says next. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Our last point is going to be our relationship with God allows us to say, it is well. It's because of that relationship with God. When we understand really how deep and how valuable that relationship is and how dire our situation is, when we understand that, that means that our relationship with God will allow us to be able to have peace. Jesus isn't offering you, I need to be very clear about this, he's not offering you just this quick, um, you know, brief transaction where you get to come to him with all of your guilt and your shame and then you take it and then you're like, okay, cool. And then you go back to what you were doing before. It's not what he's offering. He's offering something deeper and more personal than that. And what Jesus said is, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. When Jesus says that phrase, that's really important. That's, that's tying him to us. The the term yoke, if you don't know what a yoke is, um, a yoke is like a wooden beam that would typically be placed on like oxes or cows or different types of large animals. And what they would do is they would attach like farm equipment that then the the animals would drag by using the yoke that's on their shoulders. They would drag it through the fields. It's a way to work. Um, Humans also could wear a yoke. They make some yokes for humans and they're used to carry heavy weight. You can like load things on it and carry it. But when Jesus is talking here and he says, take my yoke upon you, he's using it in a metaphorical sense to mean that we are to come under subjection to him in obedience to him. So that's important because then what he goes on from there says, hey, I want you to take my yoke upon you. Then he says, I want you to learn from me. 
Jesus literally means that he wants us to walk with him daily, to walk with him in a close relationship, not distant and far off, but right beside him. He wants you to understand his commands. He wants you to have a depth with him. And this is important because that affects every single facet of your life. Um, And this is because Jesus is God in human flesh, okay? And if you understand that, that he is God in human flesh, and then you can understand that that means that Jesus is modeling how a human has perfect unity with God. He's modeling how you come into alignment with God. And not only just that, he's then teaching us what it looks like to walk separate from sin. That's why it's so important to walk in obedience. That's why it's so important to have this ongoing relationship. Jesus did this so that we could put an end to sin and pursue righteousness. That word righteousness is really just a fancy word for God's perfect way. You can think of it like that. And the best part of this, when you, when you realize that this is what God's asking us to do, is that the burden of obedience to God is so much easier to handle than the burden of sin in your life. So, so much easier. So much better in every single way. I want you guys to look again at what's said in verses 29 through 30. It said, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When you think about sin, sin is a harsh, destructive, demanding master. But Jesus is very different than that. Jesus says, I am gentle and I am lowly in heart. When he says that he's gentle, what he means by that is that he is pleasant and benevolent. Relationship with him is pleasant. And then when he says that he's lowly in heart, he means that he is humble in understanding. Jesus knows who we are. He's walking with us. He is patient with us. He wants relationship with us. And then Jesus, right after this, literally says that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. He could not be any more clear that being separate from sin is so much better than being under it. If we live in a constant appreciation for what that means, if you dig into and really work through, wow, sin is a really big deal. Sin is a problem. Not just a problem, it kills. If you understand what that is, really, that allows you to have the proper appreciation that you should have with the fact that you've been invited in to have a relationship with him and that you can have an ongoing unity with God. And if we can have that, that's going to mean that we're going to be able to say it is well when we face terrible things. We will be able to find rest for our souls, like Jesus said. You will be able to find peace. That doesn't mean that your circumstances are going to be all fixed and everything's going to go great and everything's going to be perfect for you all the time. It doesn't mean that every situation in life is just going to be smooth and simple. Far from that. Like I said, decay and the sin that is at work in this world is going to continue to be at work in this world until the day Jesus returns. 
There will be sickness, there will be pain, there will be all these things. But that doesn't have to mean that you don't have peace. It doesn't have to mean that you can't say it as well. I want to remind you of what we learned from that testimony of Horatio Spafford. What I told us to be thinking about, it's, it's not about our present situation, it's about our position with God. If you really understand that, it's going to affect every facet of your life for the rest of your life until you're with Jesus. And to close this message out, there's a story I want to share with you guys because I think it's really fitting. It's a great testimony to to this. Um, If you guys remember a few weeks back, uh, we were praying as a church for Nyjah Clark. Um, if, you don't, if you weren't here for that, you don't know who Nyjah was. Um, Nyjah Clark um, was a, a young girl who had a very advanced form of cancer. And we had been praying for her as a church because things were looking very bad. And as we were praying for her, um, unfor- or unfortunately, she has passed away. So that's sad. Um, but she was a part of this church. Um, she attended Awaken. She was a part of Awaken students. She was, like I said, very young. Um, I'm a part of Awaken students. I get to help lead that alongside a bunch of others. And so I got to know Nyjah fairly well over the years. And I remember several years ago now, many years ago at this point, Nyjah and all a, bun- a bunch of the other students that are part of Awaken students went on a camping trip. It was really, it was an event that we were doing with the students. And it's really interesting that the whole event was actually wrapped around this passage, Matthew 11, verses 25 through 30. It's really interesting because the whole goal is we were trying to bring this to life for the students, help them understand this concept, the weight of sin, that you're free from that relationship with God. And we we're trying to think of how can we do that in a way that they're going to like really resonate with. So we had an idea. And what we did is the day that we were getting ready to leave is like a three day long trip. Everyone was going to meet here. I went over to the river, and I grabbed a bunch of those huge rocks that are on the side of the river. I brought them all over here, and they're between, the smallest ones are probably like 18 pounds, but all the way up to like 30 pounds. And what we had, or what we did was we had every single student, when they showed up, uh, we had them choose a rock. And they would pick up their rock, and then we were going to have them carry that everywhere with them. And I mean everywhere. There was not a moment that we did not make them carry their rock. Every breakfast, every lunch, every dinner, they had their rock. Every game we played, they had their rock. When we went on hikes through the forest, they had to carry their rock. When they went to the shower, they had their rock. They had to use the bathroom, bring in the rock. Lay down in their tent, slip into their sleeping bag, they have their rock. We constantly reminded them every single time they stood up to to move, to go do anything. Hey, don't forget your rock. Bring your rock. We were very stringent on that. And by the end of this time, they were so sick and tired of this rock. They were so frustrated. They were like telling us, why do we have to carry these stupid rocks? I don't want to carry the rock. I'm done with it. And on the very last day, we revealed the reason why they were carrying that rock from this. Um, we showed them that that rock represents their sin. And what we had them do is we had them write down sins that they struggle with, that they've dealt with, that they know that they're guilty of. 
and how Jesus wipes that clean. He makes us no longer guilty where we have to carry that. And what we had them do after they had ridden those things out is throw those big heavy rocks into a lake where they'd be gone forever. But we didn't just stop there. Then we gave them a new rock, a small rock. It was smooth. It was fairly easy to carry. You put it in your pocket. And that was to represent relationship with Jesus, how it's different than that old rock. That the yoke of obedience is still something. You have to carry something, but it's easier, it's better. And that that rock represents an ongoing relationship with Jesus. And it was a really cool moment and everybody had a good time. All the students were there and Nigel was a part of it. And it was, it was a really cool time. It was a good takeaway. But fast forward several years. Years go by, that's in the rearview mirror now. And we get a phone call and we're told, hey, Nigel is very sick. She's in the ICU. She's not doing well. And they say that there's not a lot of time left. So myself and my wife, Breezy, and Pastor Devin and his wife, Chloe, we all got in the car and we were going to drive down to Nashville to the hospital to see her. And the whole time as we're in the car driving, we're all racking our brain. We're thinking about what can we do to lift her spirits? What, we can, what can we do to help her? What can we get? What, we can, what can we bring? What would be good things that are going to help this situation? And every single one of us comes to the same conclusion there's nothing that we can do. There's nothing that we can offer her. There's nothing we can give her that's going to fix this, that's going to make things better, that's going to make things good. There's nothing that we can do. And each of us felt this heartache and this brokenness and this emptiness in us when we came to that conclusion. So we arrive at the hospital feeling this sadness and this emptiness. And we walk into the ICU we're walking slow to the door, I remember, and the glass slides open. We step in. It's very dim. We see Nija laying there, very still in her bed. And Nija slowly rolls over, cracks her eyes open, and sees us. And then something really, really amazing happened. Nija says, I still have my rock. And it wasn't about the rock, the pebble that we gave. It's about what that represented. That she had relationship with Jesus. She already had the only thing that mattered. She was able to say, it is well. She is at peace because of what she had. There's nothing we could bring her. There's nothing we could do to change the situation. But she had what she needed already. And it was this amazing testament about what really matters in life what relationship with Jesus actually is and what it should be. Jesus just reminded us, like, man, you need to take this so much more seriously. It's not about your circumstances and your situations. It's about the relationship that I've offered you. That is everything. That affects everything, no matter how bad things might be. Niger probably would have said, hey, I'm not doing so good not really feeling okay. But she still was able to say, even despite that, it is well. It's okay. I know where I'm going. I have hope. I have life. This is just a testament to the truth of the peace that is found in Jesus. 
That's the testament that I want to leave you guys with. Whether you have been following Jesus for a long time, I know for many of us, we've been a part of church, we have a relationship with Jesus, but maybe we've forgotten really how deep that relationship ought to be and what it means that we no longer have to be under the weight of sin. And if that's you today, I want you to really think through that. Think through that weight. And then I know that there's probably some of us here today who don't have a relationship with Jesus yet. And we've never asked him for forgiveness. We've never been freed from that weight of sin. We're still under it. And if you're here today and that is you, I want to encourage you, do not leave here until you accept that invitation from Jesus to come to him, to find rest for your soul, to take his yoke upon you. Don't leave here without making that decision. And what I'm going to do is during this next song of worship, I'm going to come stand down here and what we're going to have happen is some of the other Next Steps leaders and the pastors, they'll be up here as well. And we're going to sing together like normal. And when it's done, you guys are free to go as normal. But during this next song, if you either need prayer, if you are already a follower and you just need to get back in step, get back in alignment, or if you don't know Jesus and you want to know what it looks like to take that first step, come up here and find us. We're going to be here, and I encourage you, do not leave this space until you make that decision. Decision to leave here without choosing Jesus is a decision to be separated from him forever and to be wiped out at the end of time, to go spend eternity in a place called hell. So I hope that you'll accept that, and I hope that, that this overall is encouraging and exciting and kind of shocks our perspective back into place. I know that for me, as I study this, it really did. Thanks for joining us for this message from Awaken Church. We'd love to hear how this message or the ministry of Awaken has impacted your life. Let us know at awaken.church forward slash my story.